This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Solvagi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Americans expect the products they buy to be safe. To that end, in 1972, Congress passed the Consumer Product Safety Act to create a product safety commission to set standards and enforce bans. But the commission's structure puts its leaders beyond presidential removal and leaves the producers of banned products with no place for independent legal relief. Such concentration of authority creates a tension by leaving constitutionally divided powers of rulemaking, rule enforcement, and rule challenges within a single, unaccountable bureaucratic body. That power to ban with no available independent appeal process is at the core of an ongoing lawsuit against CPSC, brought by Leachco, a small female-founded product firm in Oklahoma after the commission determined its podster baby lounger to be unsafe. This legal action appeals to the courts to determine the constitutionality of an executive agency structured to be answerable only to itself and ask that the target of their administrative actions be given the opportunity for their day in court. What are the implications of this case for the American public? And could its outcome improve executive agency accountability and preserve the right for an independent judicial oversight so vital for a free society. My guest today is Oliver Dunford, a litigator representing Leachco in its case against the CPSC and a senior attorney for the Pacific Legal Foundation, which is a nonprofit legal organization that defends Americans' liberties when threatened by government overreach. Attorney Dunford will discuss how the actions of the CPSC on Leachco shines a light on the power of executive agencies to deprive Americans of due process, all while remaining beyond the reach of elected officials. He will share with us his views on meaningful reforms to such agencies that could return the three constitutionally divided powers to their proper place. When I return, I'll be joined by Pacific Legal Foundation Senior Attorney Oliver Dunford. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now pleased to be joined by Senior Attorney for the Pacific Legal Foundation, Oliver Dunford. Welcome to Hubwonk, Oliver. Joe, thanks so much for having me. All right. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm, I'm very interested in today's topic. We're going to be talking, in fact, again for Hubwonk about the Consumer Protection Safety Commission. Uh, we're going to talk about its structure and uh, and what we think about how it enforces its 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 charter. Uh, then we want I want to talk to you about a case you have uh, uh, going up through the court system, uh, advocating for your client Leachco. But our listeners probably don't understand uh, the fundamentals of of uh, how uh, commissions are set up, uh, specifically the Consumer Product Safety Commission. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, consumer safety sounds like a good thing. Uh, uh, how is it? Uh, what is its charter? Let's let's start there. Sure. Uh, its main job is to protect the public against unreasonable risks of injury associated with consumer products. Um, it was founded in the 70s, although it had some uh, history uh, of other commissions or, or other agencies before that. Uh, and so its job is, is to protect the public, uh, generally speaking, from dangerous consumer products. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so to get that job done, it has to uh, first determine which products are unsafe. How does it do that? Does it look to third-party uh, um, uh, labs, or does it look at uh, hazards uh, in the community? Does it look to uh, 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 accident data? Where does it get this information? How does it know what's an unsafe product? Yeah, they do their own internal research. They have a technical staff. Uh, they also commission studies, uh, rely on third-party studies, um, they get their information from everywhere. Part of their mission uh, is, in fact, to provide information to consumers and to the general public about uh, products. 
So it finds a product unsafe uh, from its own uh, analysis and it deems it unsafe and it says, okay, now we have a remedy. I suppose there's a range of remedies. Uh, uh, you mentioned one, which is to inform the public that this is less than safe. But of course, another remedy would be to um, demand that the producer change the way it makes its product or in fact, uh, um, make it pull the product and, uh, and uh, recall it. So uh, how does it determine which is uh, the right solution to the unsafe product? Uh, I wish I knew uh, specifically what they what their decisions were based on. Uh, but you're right; they do. Uh, the commission does work with companies and industries uh, to set standards. Uh, if they think a product is uh, dangerous, they will uh, work with the company, or they can work with the company to uh, suggest changes. Um, but ultimately, if the company doesn't agree, or or for whatever reason, they can uh, ultimately tell the company that the product should be recalled. Uh, and okay. one one way they can do it, they can just, um, and they, they do this all the time, it seems now, they can publish something on their website that tells the public to immediately stop using this product. Uh, and then uh, it can, but it doesn't have to follow that up with uh, an official formal administrative action against the company. Okay, so uh, we found a bad product and we've decided it needs to be removed from uh, the shelves. Uh, if I'm that producer of the product, what recourse do I have to that determination? Meaning, I, I think uh, they found um, my product uh, to be unsafe. I don't agree. What what recourse do I have? Yeah, you can um, participate in a hearing. You can object to the initial decision and uh, and say that we would like a hearing. But that hearing, of course, is in front of the commission itself. Uh, so the commissioners vote to approve an administrative action. Uh, they appoint or assign an administrative law judge to hear the case. Uh, and then on appeal, the commission itself hears the appeal. Uh, but that's your recourse. You you can uh, participate in a hearing uh, where the commission's counsel will try to prove that the product is, in fact, uh, defective or unreasonably dangerous. So we follow the, the process. Um, you've got the uh, agency uh, determining which products are unsafe, determining the remedy, including pulling the product. Uh, and ultimately, if you object as the producer, uh, they're the uh, the the body that you go to to object to. So uh, it, forgive me for uh, employing a, a cliche there, the judge, jury, and executioner, um, which uh, though may sound harmless at one level, sounds somewhat arbitrary at another level. Let, let's talk about that then. If they seem internally um, uh, are, uh, potentially uh, arbitrary, uh, this is an executive branch uh, uh, department don't they ultimately answer to the president? It, it, you know, if we had a uh, an agency run amok, uh, wouldn't we essentially have the president be able to say, "Look, guys, you've gone too far. Uh, this is enough." What 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 control does uh, does let's say the executive branch have over this agency? Yeah, I mean, for most agencies, and and uh, your listeners will of course recognize the State Department, Defense Department, and the secretaries of those departments can be removed by the president for any reason or no reason. If uh, if a secretary of state is doing things that the president doesn't like, uh, the president can remove that secretary immediately. But the commission, like a number of other agencies in the government, is what's called an independent agency, uh, and these agencies are supposed to be, uh, they were established to be uh, experts in a certain field. Uh, they're supposed to merely administer the law uh, with dispassion. They're supposed to avoid politics. Uh, and in order to do that, the argument goes, the leaders of these commissions should be protected uh, somewhat from presidential removal. Uh, so unlike, say, the Secretary of Defense, uh, the commissioners of the CPSC cannot be removed by the president except for malfeasance in office or neglect of duty. 
And so what that means is a mere policy difference between the president uh, and the uh, a commissioner, or even um, some egregious behavior that doesn't reach the level of malfeasance in office uh, is not enough to remove a commissioner. Uh, they're, they're set to uh, establish terms uh, and they can serve out their term uh, unless, again, the president can uh, can show that they have neglected their duty or uh, committed malfeasance in office. So I'm going to weigh into uh, an area that I'm, I'm an amateur, I think, uh, but um, our listeners may be even uh, less uh, familiar. Uh, I, I, we have plenty of shows, uh, episodes about our wonderful Constitution, Article 1, Article 2, Article 3, and Article 1 is, you know, is Congress, and they make the laws, and Article 2 is the executive branch. They execute those laws. Article 3, of course, is, is the uh, uh, judicial oversight. But the, the executive branch um, really is constitutionally responsible to make sure the laws are carried out it, you know, in their view, uh, the way they want them to. Um, if there's a conflict in in uh, vision of what uh, the agency should be, and the president and the um, organization don't agree, effectively, then this would preclude the president from executing his constitutional responsibility, which is to carry out the laws as he sees them. Is this am I am I uh, accurate in this uh, estimation here? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, the Supreme Court in recent cases has uh, said that these agencies need to be accountable to the president uh, because the president is accountable to us. Uh, and to paraphrase uh, Chief Justice Roberts in one of those cases, uh, the buck stops somewhere else. Uh, so so presidents uh, kind of like it uh, when they can blame, well, that's just the actions of an independent agency. And a good example is the CPSC's uh, uh, or one of the commissioner's recent statements about um, banning gas stoves. Uh, the 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 point was, well, that's an independent agency, uh, and and so the president can't directly control their what they do. Uh, a similar case arose a number of years ago with respect to net neutrality. Uh, the F uh, the FTC or not, now I can't remember which agency, but an agency involved in FCC involved in uh, in uh, the net neutrality uh, issue. Um, was making these policies that the administration did not necessarily agree with. Uh, and so it does present a problem when these agencies can act independently uh, of the president, who, after all, is elected by uh, the American public. So this provides some cover for uh, either mistakes or deliberate uh, disagreement, or uh, it provides cover for policymakers who ultimately are accountable to us. So ultimately, it provides cover for um, bureaucrats from uh, the American people. It, it protects the bureaucrats from the American people. It also protects uh, not only the president, it also protects Congress. They can say, look, we passed a law and this expert agency is supposed to be taking care of these problems. Don't blame us if there are any problems. Blame the agency. OK, well, we've set the table here. I want to then move on to the specifics of the particular case that brought to light the, the challenges which uh, happen when we have a, a an agency that really doesn't seem to be uh, very responsive to uh, the needs of of, of the individual uh, uh, producers. Uh, so let's uh, drill down. You have a case that is, I think you originally filed suit in the federal district court in Oklahoma, uh, and it's now on appeal in the Tenth Circuit. Uh, it's uh, it's the the firm is Leachco. The case is Leachco versus Consumer Product Safety Commission. Um, for our listeners, uh, give us a sense of uh, how this all plays out in real life. We've got a real company with a real product that that the agency has um, deemed unsafe. Give us some background on Leachco and, and the product. Sure. Leachco is a, a small family company in Ada, Oklahoma. Uh, it was founded in 1988. 
and the founder, Jamie Leachko, uh, designed her first product by accident. Her son almost slipped out of a high chair when they were at a restaurant and she quickly fashioned a restraint and um, she used it around town. People noticed and she realized she was onto something. And she and her husband, Clyde, uh, started the company in their home. Uh, they make a number of products, um, those huge body pillows you may have seen. They make a number of maternity products. And the product at issue in this case is called the Podster. Uh, it's an infant lounger. Um, it looks kind of like an inner tube. Uh, you place the baby in it, it kind of snugs the baby, and uh, it's there for when uh, parents um, want to put the baby down for a few minutes um, while they're playing with the child or or interacting with him. Uh, but that's the uh, that's the product that the commission has its eyes set on. Uh, they Leachco has sold 180,000 uh, of these uh, podsters. They have uh, included warnings. The commission admits this that the product has always come with warnings saying do not use for sleep. Um, a constant adult supervision is always required. Um, but of course, accidents happen, and Leachco can't control uh, all the ways. Uh, their consumers will use the product, and, and tragically, three babies have died, uh, allegedly associated with the product, although we think that uh, in each case, uh, the problem was really the decisions by the caregivers and, and not the product itself that caused the death. Uh, but even if, even if they were directly caused by the product, that would be uh, three deaths out of 180,000 podsters. And if you consider uh, that each podster is used multiple times a week, uh, the rate of injury is infinitesimally small. It's uh, so we, we, in any event, that's what the commission says is an unreasonably dangerous product. Indeed, I read in your brief that in one case it was uh, used uh, when two parents were sleeping and had the bed uh, used the poster in their own bed when the baby was found. The poster wasn't next to the baby; it was under the the covers. So, and, and in fact, the baby started on the poster, didn't end up there. Uh, of course, any. Uh, death is a tragedy, but it seemed a tenuous link to the pastor and that that terrible, unfortunate. Death. Yeah, and and Jamie Leach uh, is a is a registered nurse. She's a mom and a grandmother. Um, you know, of course, they don't design these products to to harm children. Um, nobody's nobody's happy about that, and uh, and she's always designed these products uh, so that her children and grandchildren can can use them safely. So now the weight of the uh, federal government is on top of this uh, small Oklahoma company and this this uh, woman entrepreneur. Um, let's just take a step back. Uh, I mentioned that you are a, a senior attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation. Um, for a moment, I just want to um, uh, focus on you. How is it that you uh, have been able to uh, come in and help uh, this group? You're, you're a sophisticated attorney. You plead your cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. How is it they've had the benefit of, of uh, such great counsel? Of What does Pacific Legal Foundation do? Well, we are a nonprofit uh, legal foundation. Uh, we're coming up on our 50th anniversary. Uh, we provide pro bono counsel to individuals and small businesses that um, we think are being taken advantage of by the government. Uh, we have uh, a number of great donors uh, who um, sponsor our work. Uh, it's one of the great uh, things I get to do is, is work without having to collect bills. And I can, uh, I can tell clients we're not gonna charge you. Um, and we, we work in three main areas, uh, separation of powers, which is what this case involves. Uh, we also do a lot of work in property, property rights, and uh, equality and opportunity, things like economic liberty and uh, government overregulation uh, of small businesses, including things like uh, licensing uh, restrictions that uh, prevent uh, competitors from entering the market. 
So this is a sort of a classic case for then for uh, your organization. Uh, so let's let's talk about this podster um, uh, and the Leachco case. Um, uh, when when your when uh, Leachco uh, was first notified that they would have to pull the product and um, and absorb all the costs associated with that. Um, what is the process for a, a firm like that when they get that letter in the mail? Uh, do they literally have to immediately comply, or is what is their recourse? And and you know how does that play out? Well, God forbid, if any of our it happens to any of our listeners, they probably want to know what, what who to call first or what yeah. to do. And and we were not involved when they uh, first um, received notice from the commission and and when the administrative proceeding started. But but the way it appears to work, from from what I've been able to gather um, now studying up on the commission is after they do their technical uh, investigation and and do some other uh, looking around, they will contact the company uh, and and tell the company that an investigation is ongoing. Uh, and it gives the opportunity or the, the company an opportunity to respond. Now, of course, that's that's tricky. You want to cooperate with the uh, with an agency that has oversight over what you're doing, but you also don't want to uh, turn over every piece of information because who knows what the government will do with it. Um, generally, companies uh, uh, cooperate. Uh, for one thing, they want to stay out of the news, and this is true across the government. Um, you know, the SEC is always investigating securities companies, and uh, FTC is investigating companies for supposedly anti-competitive behavior. Uh, and nobody wants uh, their company's name in the paper as being under investigation. So often, these companies will cooperate with the investigation. Uh, but if they don't uh, get anywhere, or if the if the agency finds that uh, either the product in this case can't be made safer, or that it uh, the company should recall the product, then it it takes it to the uh, the next step, which is as I mentioned, uh, publishing on their website that the public should no longer use this product, and then uh, they can also uh, initiate an administrative uh, lawsuit against the company to force a recall. So that's what's happened in this case. Um, what's been the effect on the firm's owners? Again, this has been going on for a little while. Uh, what, what has been the effect on Leachco? Uh, well, just obviously the the owners uh, are uh, extremely stressed. Uh, it's um, it's threatening their livelihoods and and the livelihoods of their employees. Uh, and I mentioned we didn't we were not involved right away. They had private counsel, uh, and of course that got uh, extremely expensive. Uh, these investigations and then lawsuits, even though it's um, quote unquote just an administrative trial, uh, it involves a, a lot of sophisticated work and it takes a lot of time and it it becomes expensive. Uh, and so it's just like a regular lawsuit in that respect. Uh, we got involved in August, uh, and since then we've we've taken over. And while we have saved uh, Leachco uh, money on attorneys' fees and things like that, uh, they still are spending a lot of time. Um, responding to the commission's lawsuits, obviously through us, uh, but we've had to produce documents. Uh, we are preparing now for depositions. Uh, and so the company still has to expend a lot of time and resources uh, to participate in this lawsuit. Um, and uh, once the commission uh, made uh, public its findings or its determination that the podster was defective, um, large retailers like Amazon and uh, Bed Bath & Beyond stopped carrying uh, the podster. And so aside from the uh, legal expenses and the stress and everything else, uh, Leachco's revenues are down. And so they really are uh, at this point kind of fighting for their survival uh, against the commission. Just as an aside, if if they prevail, if you, you do a great job and uh, you prevail and uh, the um, product is, is deemed safe again, I suppose that would be the ultimate uh, victory. 
Uh, is there any recourse? Uh, can can one sue the uh, uh, the CPSC for damages? Uh, obviously, there's this substantial harm to the to the firm. Is there any possibility of recovering that? Uh, no, uh, they are they are uh, sovereign immunity protects them. Um, perhaps if if we could show that somebody at the commission acted far outside his um, legal obligations, uh, but merely bringing a lawsuit and investigating uh, a company uh, again, as, as long as it's within legal bounds, um, does not afford the uh, the company any recourse. And so, uh, even if Leachco succeeds at the administrative level, they they can't recover any of their costs, uh, nor can they recover um, uh, any damages against the the commission for the harm it's imposed. So you, you've come in uh, to the process and hopefully you're trying to um, uh, help Leachco survive. Uh, and what your legal action, and forgive me if I misstate, I'm, I'm not an attorney, <laughs> uh, but we're going to weigh into the weeds here of, of your particular case. Where you are now is you're looking for a preliminary injunction against what uh, the CPSC is doing. Uh, and uh, I, you know, let's set aside whether you think the uh, CPSC's powers are uh, constitutionally sound. We, we, we can double back on that. Uh, but let's assume they are. Uh, and you want them to stop this particular action. Uh, what is the basis of your case that says, look, until this is determined, stop, right? Let my client continue to do business. And then ultimately, you know, we will decide in in a uh, in a legal proceeding whether this is a, a good claim or a bad claim. But for now, please let these people continue to do business. Break down for our listeners what is what is the basis of your argument for relief from the CPSC? Sure. And just to be uh, just I don't want to leave the wrong impression. They Right now, the podster is still on the market. It has not been uh, recalled. Uh, sales are way down. And I'm not sure, in fact, whether they've sold any recently. Um, but the, but technically, it's still on the market. Um, and so we are uh, defending Leachco in the administrative process in, the, in that hearing. And then, as you mentioned, separately, we filed a lawsuit in federal court. Um, and we're, we're trying to stop the commission's uh, administrative proceeding so that we can challenge um, various uh, aspects of the commission's structure and the way it's doing business in this case. Uh, and uh, the, on the structural arguments, it gets a little technical, but but we think that uh, that the president, as we mentioned before, should be able to remove uh, the commissioners for any reason or no reason, that the commissioner should not be protected from removal. Uh, also that the administrative law judge that is uh, overseeing the administrative proceeding uh, likewise enjoys uh, improper removal protections. Uh, and we think, going back to our previous conversation, that this uh, diminishes the accountability of these agencies uh, and therefore renders the, the proceeding right now unconstitutional. Uh, we also think uh, that this kind of case, when you're when the government is seeking to impose uh, damages against a company, uh, that it should be in federal court and should not be uh, in an in-house administrative proceeding. Uh, as you mentioned before, the commission here is judge, jury, and executioner. Um, we think we should have our uh, case heard before an independent judge uh, and not by uh, the commission itself. And so it, in our, our case in federal court, we're seeking, uh, we're asking the courts to decide uh, whether what the commission do, is doing now is constitutional. Um, but in order to preserve those claims, we're asking the courts to, uh, for now, postpone the commission's administrative hearing so that the hearing doesn't end uh, before we get a chance to make our constitutional claims in court. I hope I that see. wasn't too wonky, but 
Uh, it was. I'm, I'm hanging on for dear life, but uh, <laughs> I can. Uh, I think I was able to keep up. Um, uh, so you you make several claims. Uh, of course, one that the um, the the agency itself is unconstitutionally structured, uh, but also that the claims themselves should be held you know, outside the agency uh, context. Um, and given that it's uncertain how this will come out, I think you also made an argument that you know the the, the tie goes to the uh, the citizen, right? You uh, it, you know in a case where one can't be sure who's right, the agency or the or the firm. Uh, in a country like ours, uh, we ought to delay incurring um, what could be uh, an improper taking of someone's rights until we have until they've heard their day in court. In other words, you know, you don't you don't send someone to prison and then figure out if he's guilty or innocent later on. Am, am I am I butchering the law or the concept there? No, that's right. And and one of the things the commission says in response is is that after the commission hearing ends. We, if we lose, we would have the right to uh, petition a court to review the commission's final decision. Uh, the problem is, by that time, uh, Leachco will have already gone through the process. And as you said before, the process is the punishment. Uh, they can't recover damages for that. So that would just be more time wasted, more more energy expended. And, and the injury, again, is the process. We can't recover for that injury. But also, even when we get to court after the administrative proceeding ends, uh, the courts are required to defer to the factual findings of the agency, and they often defer to the law as the agency has set forth. Uh, and so what we think is that the uh, commission proceedings should be put on hold uh, so that we can, again, determine whether the constitutional questions have merit. Um, and uh, the point you made, uh, the example of uh, throwing someone in jail and then figuring out if he's innocent is an interesting parallel uh, because uh, if a criminal or if a, if a defendant has been um, charged uh, with a crime before uh, and was found innocent and the state brings similar charges against him, uh, he's allowed to file a lawsuit and and say to the court, you've already uh, tried and failed to convict me of this. So your this second claim is a is a uh, a double jeopardy violation. And often courts will hear that claim before they make the defendant go through the second trial. And so we're in a similar position. We we want the, the federal court now to determine whether our constitutional claims have merit uh, and, and in the meantime, postpone the commission's administrative hearing uh, so that we don't incur any uh, further harm in that process. And who decides the, the merit? This is the Tenth Circuit's appeals court. And do they have to agree with you or grant you all your items? Uh, you enumerated, I think, four of them. Do do you have to go four for four, or does any victory within the argument uh, help your client? Well, for the for the preliminary injunction, uh, we have to show irreparable harm, uh, and 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 we also have to show. Uh, that we have a likelihood of success on the merits of our claims so that ultimately we will win that our that our legal arguments do have merit and then finally we have to show uh that the public interest would be served by postponing administrative hearings administrative hearing and so in that case we do need to meet all of those requirements um once we get to the merits of the case uh if if we win on the structural arguments uh the likely result would be that the removal protections that are now in place for the commissioners and the administrative law judge 
uh, would be removed. Uh, and if that's the only way we win, then uh, Leachco would have to go forward with the administrative proceeding. Um, but at that point, we we submit that the commission would then be constitutionally structured and it would be, at least from that perspective, proper. If we win on our other claims, uh, specifically if we succeed in our argument that these kinds of claims belong in federal court in the first place and that Leachco is entitled to a jury, uh, then the commission would not be allowed to, to go forward in-house. It would have to bring that claim in an independent uh, court with a jury. So it depends on which claims we succeed on uh, before we can determine whether or not we have to go through the administrative proceeding or whether uh, the commission will be compelled to bring its action in court. I'm imagining that our listeners, some, uh, let's say, more uh, um, comfortable with uh, government powers, others less comfortable. I, I might put myself in that camp. Um, given there seems to be a, a tension that you describe between you know, wanting a, a safety commission to be somewhat independent and, uh, you know, develop its own expertise and its own determinations. And of course, the broader uh, concept constitutionally and otherwise uh, that we need uh, those people who are keeping us safe to also be accountable. How do you strike that balance? What what if um, if you succeed? What would the uh, CPSC look like if it needs to be um let's say, both able to do its job, but also uh, accountable? What, what What's the fundamental flaw that you'd like to fix? Yeah, the, the fundamental flaw, we think, is that the, uh, the three powers of government right now are concentrated in the commission. Uh, so the Constitution divides government power, as you said before, into the executive, legislative, uh, and judicial branches. Uh, and and that, that is an important uh, structural protection uh, against... Uh, tyranny, as James Madison said in, in the Federalist Papers. Uh, and so the structural pr protections may slow down government sometimes, uh, but they are necessary in order to protect liberty. Uh, and But with the uh, commission and with agencies like that, they are able to uh, adopt rules that have binding effect on the public. They are permitted to enforce those rules and uh, laws passed by Congress. And they are able to adjudicate those claims uh, in-house. And so uh, in a normal case, in a, in a criminal case, for example, there's no question that if the government wants to uh, convict someone of a crime, uh, a law has to be in place on the books first. Uh, the executive has to uh, prove to a court of law that the defendant has violated that law. And that way, all three branches of government, in effect, have to agree uh, that someone should be convicted and uh, and be imprisoned or fined. Um, but in these administrative cases, all of those decisions are made uh, by the agency itself. And so what we seek at the end uh, is that the commission uh, be limited to its role as an executive branch agency, which means it can uh, adopt some regulations uh, to help administer the laws it's charged with enforcing, uh, it can provide studies, it can present uh, information to the public, it can make recommendations. Uh, at, but if it wants to bind uh, a private company, uh, it should have to do so uh, through a, a court of law, through an independent judge, uh, and when necessary or when appropriate, a jury. If, if one were looking for analog to these kinds of arguments, is, is this sort of Chevron doctrine, this whole concept that executive agencies really become... Uh, autonomous and unaccountable. Uh, we think about West Virginia versus EPA and we think, okay, they decide what's 
what's uh, environmentally sound. Uh, they determine who is violating the environment, uh, and then they decide what those uh, penalties will be uh, without any real action from, as you say, uh, Article 1 the Congress or uh, or any other branch. Is there a, a comparison here with, with this kind of argument? Yes. And I mean, I'm going to make a, an argument that's that's somewhat um, uh, speculative. But if you get pulled over by a policeman and you were driving uh, under the speed limit, as posted, adopted by the, the city charter or the ordinances, and the policeman says, well, in, in my expert opinion, you were driving too fast, even though you were under the speed limit. And now I'm going to take you for a trial uh, in front of my police captain. Uh, you know, no one would think that that's a, an appropriate way, uh, even if uh, we agree that maybe the, the driver was uh, being unreasonably dangerous for whatever reason. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the, in order to prove that, you have to go to court and, and you have to prove that he violated the law, uh, not simply violated what the individual policeman uh, thought a good interpretation of the law was. Indeed, some of our listeners who are, they think the government is is, is here to protect us uh, wouldn't want to be in a, some, let's say, I don't want to generalize, but some Mississippi town where the, the sheriff pulls you over uh, and you've got no jury uh, uh, of your peers. That, that Those uh, checks and balances are what, what uh, ensure the government doesn't uh, lock us all up. Uh, so whereas I think most of our listeners would go into this episode saying, what's wrong with uh, a, a committed uh, agency for consumer protection? It soon devolves into what we're talking about here is the potential for absolute tyranny, our arbitrary application of, of government power. Yeah, that's um, right. I think when, oh, the, when the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying with the, the, the one, one way I've said this somewhat simply is that when the, when the powers are concentrated in one agency, it's exactly what you get is arbitrary because there are no checks. Uh, and that's it's kind of the, the other side of the coin. You either have divided powers or you have arbitrary rule. Uh, and I think this, this case against Leachco is a good example. So, um, so I think we've piqued the interest of our, our listeners, and they, they now want to know how this uh, case is going to go. Uh, what's the next milestone in the process? I believe on Monday you just filed uh, um, a new uh, uh, appeal. Of, uh, remind me again, what, what, what happened this week? Yeah, and I'm just checking my email to see if anything's come in. But um, we it's hot off the press. Yeah, right? we're hoping. We're hoping. Uh, we, as as you mentioned, we filed a, a motion. We filed a motion for a, a preliminary injunction, which would again would postpone the administrative uh, proceeding. Uh, the district court uh, trial court denied that request. Uh, we filed an appeal with the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, and we filed a motion for an injunction pending appeal, similar relief. Uh, that court denied it. Uh, but our appeal um, about the district court's order uh, is still going on. Uh, and in the meantime, as you mentioned, on Monday, uh, we filed an application with the U.S. Supreme Court uh, for basically the same relief. We're, we're, we're telling the court that uh, our claims we think are meritorious. Uh, they're very important claims. Uh, as I mentioned, the court has been interested in these kinds of separation of powers, structural constitutional questions over the last several years. Uh, so we think this case presents those issues. Uh, and we asked the court to put a stay on the administrative proceeding, again, uh, to give us time to make our constitutional claims in court. Uh, if the commission proceeding is allowed to continue and then it ends, um, uh, we will have been punished along the way. And there's some question in Supreme Court precedent about whether uh, at that point uh, we would have any recourse. Indeed, uh, for our listeners, uh, I've had to learn this over the over time. The court will grant the Supremes will grant cert if they see a disagreement in lower courts, right? They don't just 
a rubber stamp what everybody agrees on. So if you're going up uh, to the Supreme Court, you must have a let's say a different district that um, that sees things your way, and and you want the Supreme Court to resolve the the differences between districts. Again, I'm getting way ahead of my out over my skis here, but can you share with our listeners? who, uh, as a matter of precedent, agrees with your perspective on, on this matter. Yeah, and it doesn't always have to be just a disagreement. It can also, the Supreme Court can also decide that the matter is of such um, importance that it will take the case. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. Often uh, when there is a, a split of um, of rulings across the country, that that is a, the kind of case the court wants to hear. Um, actually, there are two cases pending at the Supreme Court right now, uh, Axon versus FTC and Cochrane versus uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission. And in those cases, uh, the um, challengers raised similar arguments to what uh, the claims were raising. And the government in those cases uh, argued that the federal district courts didn't even have jurisdiction to hear the claims. Uh, and on appeal, uh, the circuit courts uh, in the Ninth Circuit and the Fifth Circuit uh, both um, put stays on, uh, postponed the administrative hearings so that the parties, excuse me, could make those uh, cases in court. And so the Supreme Court will soon issue a decision on whether um, federal district courts can hear these kinds of claims. And in our case, of course, the 10th Circuit uh, and the court below uh, denied our request to postpone the administrative hearing. So we've told the court that there is a split uh, and that again, we raise, uh, we are raising important separation of powers issues similar to the ones they're already considering. Uh, and so we think this is an important enough case for the, for the court to at least weigh in and, and postpone the administrative hearing here. They don't, they're not going to rule on the merits of our case here. Just, uh, just put a pause on what the commission is doing right now. Indeed. So again, as I say, our listeners uh, have had their interest peaked. They are interested whenever the uh, government is, um, trying to crush uh, uh, the little guy. Um, we'll see if it's uh, meritless. Uh, where can our listeners learn more about this case, your work in this case, and of course, um, uh, the work of the Pacific Legal Foundation? They may may want may want to support uh, the work that you do. So, where where can they find you? Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, we're online at pacificlegal.org. Pacific Legal, all one word. dot org. Uh, you can search for Leachco, L E A C H C O. Uh, we have a case page there. Uh, explains what's going on in that case and and all of our other cases. Uh, we also have um, uh, people at work who do uh, strategic research, uh, and we have a communications team. We offer a number of webinars and things like that. So uh, check us out, please, and um, and we'd love to hear from you. And of course, uh, as you say, it's pro bono work. Uh, your work is very valuable. Uh, you're only able to do that with the support of uh, uh, others. So, uh, you know, if, uh, I'll remind listeners, this doesn't happen by magic. It, it happens by the generosity of, of your supporters. So I, I wish you good uh, good success with your work. Uh, Oliver, thank you for joining me today on Hubwonk. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This has been another episode of Hubwonk. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support Hubwonk and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. It would make it easier for others to find Hubwonk if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're grateful if you want to share Hubwonk with friends or family. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about future episode topics, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. Hubwonk.